welcome. Good morning. Thanks, Julie. Um, all right. Okay. I, I feel like I need to be close to my tea this morning, so I'm going to stand here. Good morning. Welcome. Um, I'm just going to start out by saying I love Christmas, <laughs> typically. Um, I love the Christmas story, and I love Advent um, because we get to go over it over and over and over again. Like, um, I just love it. I th- there's so much mystery. There's so much hope. And it still kind of feels new to me. Advent was not a part of my um, religious experience until I came to Trinity um, eight years ago. Um, so I think I still have kind of a childlike wonder about it. Um, and, and I, but I do know that one of the reasons I love Christmas um, is it's the time of the year we talk a lot about Mary. I love Mary. Mary is like, I think Mary and I are soul sisters. I love her. I love her courage. I love her devotion um, and care. Um, and I just feel like called to, to her um, in scripture. But we're not going to talk about her at all today. So, <laughs> um, And as I was reflecting on today's passage, I was thinking about that adoration I have for Mary and how I think it actually has left less space in me to care for Joseph, this other pretty important character <laughs> in the Christmas story. Um, and today we're going to look at the Christmas story out of the Gospel of Matthew, um, and it spends time focusing on Joseph more than the other characters. Um, and just a, a quick note about uh, Matthew's Gospel that kind of helps understand why it takes that approach. Most Evidence we have suggests that the writer of Matthew was putting down this story somewhere around 80-ish A.D., give or take 10 or 20 years, either way. Um, and it's pretty well accepted that he was Jewish, a Jewish Christian. But during that time, they were being pushed out of Jewish communities, um, persecuted for following Christ. And it's possible that what was happening at this time during this transi- transition of, like, only Jewish or only Christian, you know, this kind of weird liminal space of being a Jewish Christian, the author was thinking, I want us to remember this story as a Jewish story. Um, And it was easier for that to happen if we look through Joseph's perspective um, when we're looking at the the Christmas story. And before we dive in, I also want to give some context for how we're coming to today's message. I have spent most of the last few years engaging with feminist and womanist texts, I share those with you pretty often, that my favorite classes in seminary were my womanist classes, and those theological perspectives often focus on women in scripture, which is probably unsurprising. This is important because the women often highlighted in these theological perspectives um, haven't gotten much attention historically, so it makes sense that when I look at the Christmas story, my attention maybe has usually gone to Mary. But today we're going to use another theological lens as we look at this scripture. And it's a bit of a preview for what we're going to do in our identity unit come January. In the new year, we're going to start walking through the Gospel of John, which is my favorite gospel, um, with a queer theological point of view. And I'll share more about that as we introduce the series on January 8th. But for now, um, I think it would be helpful to know this means a couple of key things. One, Queering the text means to find the ways in which the text pushes against the status quo. To find the ways God is found either with people on the outside 
or in the ways the characters behave in a way that would align with ideas outside what is typically accepted. It highlights the ways in which the story of God in reality is already queer in the dictionary definition sense of strange other. The second key point that I think is important to understand is that queering the text does not mean to use the Bible to prove that queer people belong in the kingdom of God. That question is already answered. There is no argument to be made. The kingdom of God includes everyone. Amen. Amen. <laughs> A fitting thing to declare the love advent of week. That all are loved. All are belong. All belong. So stay tuned for the identity unit. I'm so excited. <laughs> so let's do it. We, we have already read Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, but I'd like to read them again with you. And so if you'd like to follow along, you may. I'll be reading from the NRSV, not the updated version that they snuck in on us, but just the regular NRSV. Or you can just listen. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Okay. So in our passage here today, we see that Joseph is dealing with Mary's situation, we might call it. Um, and as Mike kind of mentioned last week, that Joseph is a, is a good and righteous man. He's a nice guy. Um, and he wasn't willing to humiliate Mary. He wasn't going to find um, a way for her to be punished. He was going to be quiet about it, to try and save Mary from as much shame as he could. Even if the story stopped here, Joseph is already tiptoeing into a queer response. He's going to care for this woman, something that all history and data points to this being a little bit strange. So it seems that Joseph's foundation already lies outside of what might be expected or accepted. And I think I would have completely understood Joseph's response to divorcing Mary. Joseph finds out that his betrothed is pregnant and he is not the father. And I imagine the grief that would come when learning that the person you're supposed to spend your life with has so intimately tied themselves to another. The sadness and anger, I think, would be big. And even though betrothals at this time look very different than our modern-day engagements, weren't promises of love and devotion for each other, but more business deals between families, I think it seems reasonable, given our text, that Joseph would still have this sense of betrayal. And there seems to also be evidence here that it was emotional for him, that he might have had feelings for her beyond just a typical deal, that this marriage was more than a business transaction. Divorcing Mary would have been an act of emotional self-preservation, I think, in many ways. But it wouldn't just 
be that for Joseph because also the law required it. Jewish law required a divorce in cases like this. And the divorce should have been public, coming with intense shame for Mary or any woman in that situation. It could have even come with a death sentence. But even before anything fantastical happens, Joseph isn't interested in harming Mary in this way, even though it seems he's probably really likely hurt by her. Joseph loves Mary by protecting her from the violence that she might be exposed to if he were to follow the law to the letter. So that's Joseph's starting point, his foundation. And then one night he goes to sleep and has this weird dream. Joseph is visited by an angel, and the angel tells him that Mary is going to have a baby by the Holy Spirit. And the angel quotes Isaiah 7:14 as reassurance to Joseph that this is some fulfillment of a prophecy already set. Um, and a side note, Matthew loved quoting old prophecies. He does it 11 other times <laughs> in his story. Um, like, it's super important to him. Like, it's something that distinguishes his gospel from others and ties it to Judaism a little bit more. Okay, that, that piece is coming back around. In this dream, Joseph hears, do not be afraid. God's message starts here, and I think that's important. The message that Joseph is about to hear is going to instruct him to go against everything he knows and believes he is, um, he is supposed to do, what is right to do. And this message also comes in the night, not in the light of day, in darkness, in secret, in a dream. Only Joseph receives this message. It's not a declaration from God. It's a moment between God and Joseph, one that Joseph could have easily woken up from and believed to be nothing more than his imagination. Maybe he had too much coffee before bed. Or he could have moved on without making any changes to his original plan. No one would have known. But in this dark and secret place, God speaks to Joseph. The birth of God with us, Christ in the flesh, becomes more of a reality because of this interaction. Melissa Skelton is the um, first female archbishop in Canada. She seems like a pretty cool person when I was reading about her this week. And she writes this about this moment. I believe that we're all a little like Joseph. We all limit ourselves to our tried and true ways of doing things. We each have our own ways of dealing with personal, spiritual, and professional matters, our own ways of moving through this demanding season of the year. Perhaps there is a voice we're already dimly aware of from a dark, subterranean, and mysterious place. Perhaps it's a voice we're trying to avoid, a voice that is asking us to go beyond, bless you, those tried and true ways in order to surrender more fully to God and to assist in the coming of Emmanuel, God with us, in our own lives and in the life of the world. Joseph is presented with an alternative here to divorcing Mary, an opportunity to be with her. The only way to bring in the child of God, the one named God with us, was to stand with the woman that was giving him life. This does not make sense. <laughs> None of it. Joseph, for all intents and purposes, is going above and beyond already as an act of love for Mary, yet God here says, there's another way. And I think Joseph is already unsettled by the path before him. It's the reason he isn't going through with the accepted protocol, so to speak. And then God comes to share why. 
God recognizes Joseph's intuition in this time and gives him what he needs to follow it. The push in secret, even though it's crazy. Last week in a community conversation that we were having after the gathering to process our thoughts about Evolving Faith Conference, we were chatting about this exploration that we all take part in of new paths and ideas in an effort to follow the Spirit. And there was this moment where we were all talking about sitting with the idea that things that work for some people might not be the things that work so well with others, and what does that mean for us? And Dave used this phrase that I just kept thinking about all week, He said something like, what if love looked like this? What if that was the question we asked when we were introduced to to new things? And I think you could substitute pretty much anything for love in that sentence. We were talking about fruits of the spirit, joy, anything like that. But love was kind of perfect because of the week we're in. And it kept coming up when I was thinking about Joseph in this moment. Joseph believed he was loving Mary well here by the plan that he had thought out. He was already acting in a Christ-like way, even before we had enfleshed Christ's example, by loving Mary this way. And yet God says, what if love looks like this? What if love looks like being with this woman that the rules say don't belong? The rules say is wrong or bad or whatever you imagine and know that people say about young, unmarried, pregnant women. And unbelievably, in this moment, he agrees. He wakes up and says, all right, bet. Joseph, already walking to the edge of the boundaries of what is acceptable, is offered a diving board into the mystery of God on the outside and takes a leap. It doesn't make sense. And also, it makes the most sense when we consider it through a a queer theological lens. Queerness lives on the outside. It loves on the outside. It has existed in opposition to the correct way of living, and it thrives. Queerness knows that it belongs, and it knows that God is with us. And so it makes perfect sense that the birth of God with us would have to take place in that, place, in that spot. And that's where Joseph meets Mary. That love was risky, and that hope was risky. Following God's instruction to wed Mary was dangerous. But that is where Joseph was sent to help usher in the enfleshed Christ. That love remains risky today. In a world where stepping outside the safety of the majority could mean that we are in danger. And yet, Christ continues to be born there. In the dark and secret places, on dance floors, in gay bars, under strobe lights, at drag shows while everyone sings along to share, and in homes that quietly celebrated this week that their marriages were no longer at risk. The love in these moments is not just for one community. It's for everyone. It is the love of Christ made flesh, birthed in this world to pull our attention to the places made secret by those unwilling and so unable to know the fullness of God. In Advent, we're waiting. We're waiting for Christ to be born in a way that we recognize, to remind us that God is indeed with us. But as we wait this week for Christmas morning, let us remember that Christ came to us in this unrecognizable place, in this unacceptable place, on the outside of what was known and cared about 
to an unwed mother and a father that risked everything after listening to a message that came to him in the darkness of night. Let us this week find love in the places that we don't normally look for Christ, but where Christ is surely being born. Amen.